0: In october 2004, Singapore launched its largest nationwide search. An 8-year-old girl had vanished. Initially, the police scoured all of the girl's favourite spots, the West Coast Park and the Ironman building. They found no trace of her. Next, they reached out to hospitals and transport companies, distributing the missing girl's description. Last seen at around 1 p.m. at the food court, less than 500 meters from her home, the primary two pupil of Jintai Primary School was described as 1.2 meters tall, with a fair complexion and straight dark hair. As the days passed, a news article on the missing girl mobilized the nation, sparking a rare display of unity as Singaporeans stepped up to assist. People began offering rewards to encourage the search effort, starting at $10,000, and later increasing to $15,000. The Crime Library, a renowned volunteer organization dedicated to investigating missing persons cases, joined the effort by distributing flyers to pedestrians in the vicinity of Huang Na's last known location. The public's involvement grew, culminating in the distribution of an impressive 70,000 flyers. The general manager of an online design firm established a website to collect tips while Comfort Delgro, Singapore's largest taxi operator, enlisted its driver's help. The urgency of the search was such that even residents of Malaysia, Singapore's closest neighbour, participated. Finding the girl seemed inevitable, yet she remained missing until the 31st of October 2004, when the police stumbled upon a peculiar find. Hidden in the dense undergrowth at Tuluk Blanga Hill Park, a brown, medium sized cardboard box was discovered. You're listening to a special edition episode of Heinous, brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by OneUp Media. This episode contains scenes of graphic imagery and violence. Listener discretion is advised. The murder of Huang Na ranks among the most high-profile cases in Singapore's history, involving the tragic death of a defenseless 8-year-old girl who was universally well-regarded. Huang Na was born in Putian, Fujian, China on the 26th of September, 1996. She moved to Singapore with her mother, Huang Ying, who came as a Peidu Mama, a term for mothers who accompany their children overseas for educational opportunities. In the early 2000s, Singapore's government eased immigration policies to attract foreign students and workers. This, coupled with the perception that education in mainland China was less competitive than in Singapore, led to an influx of Paidu mamas, like Huang Xiuing, who sought a better future for their children. The duo arrived in Singapore around May 2003, and Huang Na was soon enrolled at Jintai Primary School. Despite occasional mischief, she was described by her mother as filial and mature, with aspirations of becoming a doctor to improve the lives of her mother and others. They resided in a shared apartment in Block 8, near the Panjang Wholesale Centre, where Xu Ying worked part-time. For the following year and a half, their life was unassuming. Huang Na independently managed her school routine ate at a nearby food court, sometimes prepared meals for herself and her neighbours, used a common toilet for bathing, and treated the center's auction hall as her playground. Huang Na quickly became a well-known figure at the wholesale centre, befriending many stall owners and workers, including Tuk Ling Hao, a vegetable packer at Messe's All Seasons Fruits and Vegetables supplier. On the 27th of September, 2004, Xu had to return to China for two weeks. During that period, she left Huang Na to the care of a friend. Life proceeded as usual with Huang Na, a spirited girl known for her independence, making her own entertainment. Among her playmates was Tuk Ling Hao, with whom she played hide-and-seek with in the alleys and nooks of the bustling wholesale centre. The clock struck 1.30pm on the fateful day of 10th October 2004 when Huang Na, with a wave to her caretaker, stepped out to make a phone call to her mother. This was a routine activity for Huang Na and was not out of the ordinary. But as minutes turned to hours, a shadow of unease began to loom. By 2.30pm, the girl had not reappeared, her prolonged absence concerning. The caretaker began a frantic search through the wholesale centre and Jintai Primary School, hoping to find Huang Na. Each passing moment grows desperate as familiar faces shook their heads, not having seen the girl. By 10 p.m., having exhausted most avenues, a police report was filed. The authorities acted swiftly upon receiving the report of Huang Na's disappearance, conducting a thorough search and interviewing individuals at her last known location. The first 24 hours after a child is reported missing are critical, and the officers were determined to make the most of this crucial period. A promising lead surfaced when workers at messes reported seeing Tuk Ling Hao walking with Huang Na, holding mangoes. This detail suggested that Tuk might know more about her whereabouts. Tuk Ling Hao cooperated at first, leading police to Block 13 of the wholesale center, where he claimed to have last seen Huang Na. He recounted his subsequent steps to a storeroom at block 15. However, as the interrogation progressed, Took's account took a turn as he began to divulge peculiar details. The fluorescent lights likely flickered in the interrogation room as the clock struck 11pm on 20th October 2004. Took sat across from the detectives, his fingers tapping a nervous rhythm on the metal table the lead detective leaned forward, patience waning. Took, it's been over a week since Huang Na disappeared, and now you're saying you saw her being taken. Why on earth would you withhold something like that? Took's gaze fitted away as he gave an awkward, sickly smile. It's the traitors, he muttered. Huang Na's mother, she, she might have crossed them at the center. I, I don't want any trouble, but I've been worried sick. The room was silent, but for the hum of the air conditioning. Look, we understand you might be scared, too, but a little girl's life is at stake. You said you can arrange for her to be released? Yes. I just need to get my phones from the repair shop. The contact for the person who can help her is in there. The detectives shot each other a look. Alright, we'll escort you to collect them. Wan assured. But his next words were heavy, with caution. But we also want you to take a polygraph test. Will you take it? Took's nod was agreeable. First thing in the morning, he promised. Curiously, Took even offered to stay in the police station that night in order to wake up on time for the polygraph test. To the team, Took seemed very cooperative And even though he struck them as a little strange, the offer, if real, could be game-changing to the investigation. At the very worst, he was a master storyteller, looking for some excitement in his life. Okay, let's go and collect those phones. At around 1.15 a.m., Police escorted Tuk to his flat in Teluk Blanga to retrieve his two mobile phones, and then to the wholesale centre to point out the abduction site of Huang Na. Following this, Took made an unusual request. A meal. I'm super hungry. I usually eat supper one. Tuk might have whined. By now, his antics may have seemed normal to the police, and they stopped at a restaurant for food. After the meal, Took asked to use the restroom. A police officer accompanied him, standing guard outside. Time slipped away. Took, are you finished? The officer called out. There was no response. As more minutes passed without a word, the officer repeated Took. Took. Oh, God. Where did he go? Surprisingly, CCTV footage later revealed that Took had slipped out the back door of the restaurant, evading police detection entirely. At the time, the authorities were unaware of his departure, but the evidence was clear. Took exploited the CID pass entrusted to him for the escort, masquerading as a CID officer. With this guise, he breezed through the custom checks of Singapore and Malaysia, unchallenged. His escape route led him to Penang, where he successfully dodged the scheduled polygraph test and any further police interrogation. At this point, you might be wondering, why weren't the police more vigilant on someone as suspicious as Tuk Ling Hao? Well, because at face value, Tuk seemed an unlikely suspect. Born in Malaysia on 16th December 1981, Took was the second of four children in a tight-knit family. At 18 years of age, he moved to Singapore, aiming for a better future. By the time he met Huang Na, Took was married to an Indonesian-Chinese woman and had a son, who played with Huang Na. The family's reputation was that of affable neighbours. At work, his employer described Took as efficient and trouble-free for the last three years, even taking initiative to reprimand colleagues for missed orders. This gave him the image of a responsible employee. Furthermore, testimonies regarding Took's interactions with Huang Na depicted a bond characterized by warmth and familiarity. He was frequently seen engaging in games with her, purchasing food for her and offering her rides on his motorcycle. These accounts reinforce his claims that he saw Huang Na as his own daughter. And there was one more thing, which we thought you should know, that perhaps explained his peculiar statements to the police and their willingness to accept it. Took had an IQ of 76, which is near the threshold for intellectual disability. At the time, the available evidence and witness statements seemed to point to Took being a key observer rather than a perpetrator. Confirmed sightings placed him with Huang Na around 1pm on 10th October 2004 and again at 5pm with no indication of foul play. His rapport with the girl and corroborative testimonies initially steered suspicion away from him, positioning him as an integral link to unraveling the timeline of her disappearance, specifically the critical hours between 1 and 7 p.m. But after his escape, a bigger question now loomed. Why run away if you are innocent? It's October 30th, 2004, 20 days since Huang Na's disappearance. And by this time, Singapore had erupted into a search party frenzy. The media had been following Xu Ying, Huang Na's mother, on a search for her daughter and painted a picture of great injustice. I work here to earn money for my daughter to study. We lead a simple life. I didn't make any enemies or offend anyone. Chewing even went as far as to trek in Bukit Timah Hill, fearing that she would find her defenceless daughter hurt in a ditch. Or worse. Singaporeans immediately offered help, from sending posters to offering reports to search parties combing areas. But Huang Na remained missing. At the police station, many were uneasy. Public frustration was mounting over the inability to locate her. Forensic teams, however, made some progress in the investigation, discovering a child's fingerprints and a faint blood stain in a storage room near the wholesale centre. However, the absence of Huang Na's blood and fingerprint records rendered it impossible to confirm if the findings were related to her. Investigators also encountered numerous handprints in an unidentified substance. But tests for blood, semen and urine returned negative results. But one thing was certain. Denim fibres. Lots of it. Usually, finding denim fibres aren't particularly noteworthy in a crime scene. But in this case, the sheer volume found everywhere was unusual. Horrifyingly, the fibres eventually found a match to a skirt worn by Huang Na. This evidence suggested That Huang Na had been in that storeroom. But the specifics of why and what occurred remain a mystery, as did the nature of the mysterious substance found with the prince. Amid the escalating scrutiny, the criticism of the police's oversight concerning Tuckling Hao's escape grew louder and harder to defend. With the stakes rising, the imperative was clear. Something significant needed to happen, or the chances to find Huang Na might be lost forever. You're not going to believe this, a policeman likely exclaimed as he came running in. Took Ling Hao has surrendered in Penang. In what seemed like a miraculous turn of events, Tuk had turned himself in and was swiftly taken into custody by the Singapore police. This time, the situation had changed dramatically Took was required to give a clear account of his actions. Otherwise, he would face the full severity of the law. A detective placed a recorder on a table between him and Took, the red light blinking softly in the sterile room. Mr. Took, you crossed into Malaysia with a CID pass. That's an offence. Impersonating an officer... Why don't you tell me why you left? The detective notices Took's wide smile. Not psychopathic, if anything. Almost silly and earnest looking. I left because, I thought, I thought it would stop a war. A war between Malaysia and Singapore. A war? It might have been hard for the detective not to judge, but time is of the essence, and he had to get Took to give him something valuable, fast. A war, huh? Tell me more, Took. My thoughts? They get jumbled, but it made sense at the time. Took continued. But I returned because I did nothing wrong. My father actually encouraged me, since I did nothing wrong. There was a long silence as the detective finished writing. He looked up. Took We need to focus on finding Huang Na. It's vital that you tell us everything you remember from the day she went missing. Took likely continued grinning to himself, perhaps whimsically looking around before exclaiming, I remember. What do you remember, Took? This has to tell us more about Huang Na. With newfound intensity, Took began slowly. I remember where she is. I know where the body is. A search team was dispatched immediately, shadowing Took as he navigated them to Teluk Blanga Hill. At the summit, a lamppost stood next to a triangular sign. There. Took gestured, pointing towards the forest's edge at the hill's base. I threw her there. With a measure of caution, born from Tuk's previous fabrications, the police made their way down the slope. Venturing deeper into the undergrowth, they encountered a troubling sight. A brown cardboard box with the dimensions of 50 by 40 by 30 cm. Approaching the box, the unmistakable scent of decay wafted through the air, a harrowing prelude to the grim discovery within. Upon opening the box, they were met with a sight of pure horror. The remains of a young girl, curled into a fetal position and unclothed, lay lifeless before them. The morbid details were stuck. Her brain decomposed to a liquid state. The scalp bore injuries from a blunt force. Bruises marred her thighs. And evidence of vomiting and fecal release were present. Decomposition had ravaged her features so severely that forensic verification was required to confirm her identity. Yet, in a testament to her mother's unyielding connection to her child, Xuing recognized her immediately, affirming the deep maternal bond she shared with Huang Na. The following day, Tuk Ling Hao faced murder charges. The media spotlight shifted to Tuk the moment the discovery of the body was publicized. Behaviors previously overlooked were now scrutinized, casting a shadow of doubt over his character. More witness accounts began to emerge amidst the scrutiny. Xu Ying, initially believing Tuk to be harmless, remembered an instance where he had reprimanded Huang Na at school, even resorting to physical punishment for her misbehavior. Another witness recounted seeing Tuk bind Huang Na's hands purportedly to discipline her for her playful nature. Public opinion, which had been wavering, took a definitive turn against Tuk as the funeral proceedings for Huang Na unfolded. Xiu Ying's visible despair at the cremation evoked a strong reaction, with the tide of public sentiment turning decisively against Tuk. In a move of desperation, his parents sought the expertise of Sapa's Anandan, a criminal lawyer in Singapore with a reputation for accepting challenging cases. Upon taking the case, Anandan was flooded with calls, some from well-intentioned friends cautioning him of the potential damage to his reputation, others ominous, suggesting that Tuk was undeserving of any defence. Yet, it was the complexities of the case that intrigued Anandan, leading to his decision to represent Tuk Ling Hao. After Huang Na's cremation, case enthusiasts began to dive deeper into the incident with renewed interests. A worrying question arose. What was the motive behind targeting Huang Xuing's daughter? Born in 1973 to a farming family in Putian, Fujian, China, Xuing married young and soon after gave birth to Huang Na. Her husband left for Singapore to work illegally as a vegetable packer and was followed by Ying two years later. She was shocked to find him unfaithful. The couple separated swiftly, and Xu Ying stayed on in Singapore, also working illegally. After being in prison and deported in 2001, she returned two years later, having paid a trafficker $8,000. It was then that she met Tuk Ling Hao. Xu Ying's public image as a distraught mother began to crack under scrutiny. More intrigue surfaced over time. Xu Ying had remarried, but her new husband was conspicuously absent during the search for Huang Na, only appearing after Took's arrest. This led to speculation. Was Took an easy target due to his intellectual capacity, simply in the wrong place at the wrong time and mixed up with an incriminating company? Further allegations against Xu Ying complicated the narrative. She was accused of having multiple affairs within the wholesale centre community. There were even whispers of a romantic involvement with Took, which ended bitterly after she left him for his boss. Took has, however, denied such allegations, claiming that Xuing and him were only good friends. Amidst the circulating suspicions, one critical question persists. What exactly happened in the storeroom? The day Huang Na went missing... According to Tuk Ling Hao, everything started with a routine game of hide-and-seek, gone horribly wrong. In an attempt to intensify the game, Tuk left Huang Na alone in a darkened room, her ankles bound to increase the challenge. Upon returning after his countdown, a disturbing scene unfolded. Tuk described hearing a loud thud that filled him with immediate dread. When he switched on the lights, he found Huang Na on the floor, in the throes of convulsions She had vomited blood and her body was shaking violently in what seemed like a seizure. Her eyes were wide open and urine stained the floor. After calling her name and receiving no response, Took attempted a dubious remedy he had seen on television. Believing that a sharp blow to the back of the neck could restart a person, he administered this treatment three times only to find that Huang Na's condition worsened, evidenced by the increased amount of blood she had vomited. Overcome with worry, Tuckling Ling Hao then took drastic actions. The following are in his own words. I don't know why, but I put both my hands around her neck and pressed it. I pressed it momentarily with my eyes closed. I let go of my hands and looked at her. She looked no different. I put my hands around her neck again and closed my eyes. I pressed her neck harder this time After some time I relaxed my hands I opened my eyes and looked at her This time I noticed her face was greyish white Although her eyes were still open As Took proceeded His accounts descended into a dark and disturbing realm This time she was hiccuping This went on for very long And it scared me I stood up and stamped on her neck about three times with my foot. She continued to hiccup and each time she hiccuped, I would become very scared because her face would be ashen grey and her eyes would still be open. In an odd confession, Turkling Hao claimed that Wang Na had died from a seizure. He only, as he put it, smothered her and then crushed her face in a twisted act of mercy. Bizarrely, he attempted to stage a sexual assault, thinking it would divert suspicion. Despite how strange his admission is, Tuk remains convinced that he did not kill Huang Na. Tuk's certainty was such that he participated in reenactments for the police. With unsettling earnestness and openness, to onlookers, the reenactment footage painted Tuk as a cold-blooded psychopath. Sapasa Nandan, his defense attorney, believed that Tuk was simple-minded and thought that cooperating with the police would lead to a lesser charge. Firmly maintaining his innocence in Huang Na's murder, regardless of Tuk's peculiar admission, the final judgment will be up to the courts to decide. It's now July 11, 2005, about nine months since Tokling Hao was charged of murder, and his trial was underway. The prosecution has built its case on the forensic evidence obtained. The mysterious stains in the storeroom, initially suspected to be bodily fluids, were identified as mango, consistent with the fruit Tuk was seen carrying on the day Wang Na disappeared, and the same mangoes found in her decaying body. Condemning evidence also emerged from the disposal method of Huang Na's body. The adhesive tape securing the box was applied with a technique typical of a vegetable packer. Diving deeper, investigators found Huang Na's body wrapped in nine additional layers of plastic bags, each fastened with a knot tied right over left. Twice. A method not uncommon in itself, but distinctive in that it used the centre of the bag rather than the ends. When asked to demonstrate his knot-tying, Tuk replicated this exact method, aligning with the evidence found. To the prosecution, the story was clear. and Tai Huang Nine to the storeroom, stripped her, restrained her, and committed sexual assault. Following these heinous acts, he smothered her to ensure her silence, stomped on her to confirm death, and then methodically packed the body into a cardboard box, displaying a chilling level of composure and detachment. The defence argued diminished responsibility, pointing to behaviours that suggested Took was manifesting symptoms of schizophrenia. There were moments where he would smile at nothing or appear to converse with invisible entities. He even claimed that three Chinese men had entered the storeroom, alleging that it was they who bound and strangled Huang Na. This raised serious questions about his mental state. The trial exchanges spanned for seven weeks, drawing crowds eager to witness the proceedings. As the media's extensive coverage intensified public outrage, criticism of its role began to surface. The question raised was, had the media preemptively cast Tucklinghau as guilty before a verdict was reached? With the constant barrage of guilt from every direction, maintaining the judicial cornerstone that Tuck is presumed innocent until proven guilty became a challenge. Regardless of the media's influence, the tragedy remained that an eight-year-old girl's life had ended in the most cruel and violent manner. Whether or not the actual events align with Tuk's confession, the fact that he tempered with Huang Na's remains was undeniable. In the court of public opinion and law, Tuk Hao was accountable for his actions, one way or another. On August 26, 2005, the judgment was handed down. Despite uncertainties regarding the sexual assault charges and the lack of a clear motive, the court found Tukling Hao guilty of murdering Huang Na beyond reasonable doubt. Consequently, Tuk was sentenced to the mandatory death penalty. In the wake of the verdict, public opinion was starkly divided, prompting an immediate response. Hundreds flocked to Sabar Sanandan's office to sign a clemency petition, which quickly swelled to 30,000 signatures. Encouraged by public support, an appeal was lodged against the conviction. But it was ultimately denied in a rare split decision of two to one. Not since a drug trafficking case a decade prior had the Court of Appeal been so divided in a capital punishment case. And so, on November 3, 2006, Tukling Hao was executed. The disappearance and subsequent murder of Huang Na remains a highly divisive case in Singapore. Remarkably, both Tukling Hao's family and Huang Ying received public donations A rare instance of sympathy for not only the victim, but the perpetrator in a murder case. Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast, is brought to you by MediaCorp and OneUp Media. This episode was produced and written by Guangjin, edited by Alex, narrated by Jason, audio experience by Ethan Sam. Additional engineering by Ashley from OneUp Media. Special thanks to executive producer Danny Cordy from MediaCorp. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next one.